has the page number. Is it 845? Section 21, chapter 21, section 6 today. Who's the first one with the page number? 861, thank you. Chapter 21, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, and we're going to be looking just at section 6 today. I'm told it's on page 861. So, uh, before we dive in, let's pray together. O oh Lord, our God, you are glorious and majestic and worthy of all praise and honor and glory. We thank you, O oh Lord of resurrection power, uh, you who raised your Son and seated him far above the heavens uh, at your right hand, and you who by your Spirit have raised us up with him uh, and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places, having blessed us with all heavenly blessings in him. Oh, we thank you for the joy and the privilege and the duty and the pleasure of worship. We thank you uh, for the way that you lead us into worship and you meet us in worship and you reveal yourself to us as we come to your word and to prayer and to praise. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us today to think uh, one more time about what it is to worship you. Uh, today, thinking about how we are to worship you in uh, private and in our families. Help us to think about what it means uh, to be your people uh, every day of the week, not just as we gather together, but what it means to be worshipers as you have created us to be throughout the week and throughout our lives. Grow us, O oh Lord, in an appreciation for worship because we pray that you would be growing us in an appreciation for you and for your glory and your beauty and your power. Help us today by your spirit to think of these things clearly uh, and to be encouraged by your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, section 6. Here's what it says. Neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship is now, under the gospel, either tied unto or made more acceptable by any place in which it is performed or toward which it is directed. But God is to be worshipped everywhere, in spirit and in truth, as in private families daily and in secret, each one by himself. So, more solemnly, in the public assemblies, which are not carelessly or willfully to be neglected or forsaken, when God, by his word or providence, calleth thereunto. Now, so that's the section that we're reading and looking at, and uh, today I want to discuss just that little section in the middle, dealing with private and family worship. God is to be worshipped everywhere, in spirit and in truth, as in private families daily and in secret, each one by himself. Uh, now, I, I hope that as we have gone through our study on worship, that you have been pressed uh, to consider more deeply what it is that we do when we gather together week after week. That's been the focus of the majority of our study, uh, what it is to gather in corporate worship and what worship is generally. And, and we've walked through some of the major things that happen as we gather week upon week uh, to come into the Lord's presence and to worship him. Um, but even though we spent the majority of our time focusing on gathered worship, we need to discuss worship practices in private as well. And I do that with just a little bit of, uh, I don't know if hesitation or trepidation is the right word, um, but uh, a little fearful trepidation maybe. And, and, and only because for some believers, depending sometimes on your background or your experience or your own personal proclivities, there can be an awful lot of anxiety wrapped up uh, in personal worship. Hopefully there's not, uh, but there can be. I mean, there can be the anxiety of, uh, well, what do I do in private worship or in family worship? You know, should I read the Bible and how much? Can I read some other book along with the Bible? Am I a good Christian if I don't have a year-long Bible reading program? Do I have to read several chapters, just a few verses? What does private prayer look like? Because even when somebody else tells you how they pray and they lead you, you never actually get to see somebody else in private prayer. Uh, there are some people who can pray really well uh, and freely so that you get the sense that they're praying uh, by themselves and they have the freedom of private prayer. But, but I, I imagine that in most of our minds, there's that little voice in the back 
uh, that, that changes just slightly the expressions we would use, the way that we would speak to the Lord if anybody else is listening. And so we might wonder, well, am I doing it right when I'm all by myself and there's nobody to show me how to do it? Am I, am I being led well and doing the right thing when I'm uh, worshiping by myself? There's also an anxiety that comes with seasons for believers when your devotional life might seem rote, uh, might seem uh, sort of flat. It happens. Um, reading uh, one of the, the books for this week, the, the one that we studied actually is, uh, as a session talked about, uh, the fact that all believers will go through different seasons, varying attitudes in their approach toward personal worship. It might be sometimes summer and sometimes winter, and sometimes we might find ourselves through a long winter where you know, we're, we're doing private worship and we're engaged in private worship, but we wonder if, there's, if we're missing something. It doesn't seem to be this great experience. We read and we end up and we, we, I'm not sure what I got out of that, really. Uh, and so there's some anxiety that maybe, you know, we have this, this season that doesn't seem to be fulfilling for us. There's also sometimes the unspoken anxiety of the person who struggles with regularity in their private worship. You know, we all know that, uh, that if you're a good Christian, right, you have a daily devotional time, and so when we meet together with other believers, we don't come out and say, I'm having a hard time just fitting this into my schedule. Uh, and so we, we hide that anxiety a little bit, and that anxiety can be heightened by insensitive pastors. I want to tell you a story. I think uh, the, way that, um, the way that Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I know a man who was called up to the third, well, I know a man, uh, it was me, uh, years ago, and Sarah was there, um, I was freshly out of college. Uh, I grew up, most of you know, I grew up with a Methodist background, uh, and in that holiness tradition of the church, I mean, your daily devotional walk with the Lord was your everything. Gathered corporate worship was okay, uh, but private devotional time, that's when the Lord really spoke to you, and if you were a serious Christian, that's what you did. Every day you had a private devotional time. And so I was coming out of this background. I was freshly out of college. I was also newly reformed. Uh, and I was invited by my former youth pastor to come and to speak at a weekend retreat for this Methodist church. And I knew exactly how these things go, right? I'd been to plenty of them. And so I knew that the first night was an evangelistic message. If anybody's there who hasn't heard the gospel, make sure they hear the gospel. Uh, the second day, the, the Saturday morning of the retreat, was always some basic spiritual doctrines, learning about who God is and what he's done for us, in addition to the basic gospel message they heard the first night. Saturday night was always spiritual discipline, because you're training them to be Christians now. And then Sunday morning was evangelism, and you send them off as, as great evangelists with this faith that they've been holding on to now for at least 36 hours. And so I knew exactly how to do it, and I knew that Saturday night was the night to talk about spiritual disciplines. And I had this great idea. Um, I would begin my talk, and I did begin my talk, by calling three students out of the crowd and up to the front, and I specifically asked for people who had something they were really passionate about. I wanted somebody who was really studious. I wanted somebody who was a student athlete. And somebody else, I think I got somebody who was really concerned with how they looked. Uh, and I went through and I asked them to tell us about how they could prove that they really cared about these things. And for the student, how much time a week do you think you spend outside of school doing your normal homework and your study and making sure your grades are really, oh, hours, hours a week doing these things? How about the, the student athlete? How much time do you spend each week when football season is on uh, practicing and lifting and all these, oh, tons of time, tons of time. Uh, and then there was my gotcha moment when I had them in front of a crowd and I put a microphone in their face and I said, are you a Christian? Are you passionate about that? And they said, yes. And I said, how much time do you spend each week reading your Bible? And the sad thing is that I wanted that reaction because the whole point of that talk for that Saturday night was, here's how you know if you're really serious about your Christian life if you are really diligent in your spiritual disciplines. And I made that point by taking a couple students and shaming them in front of a crowd. And so maybe, you know, I know a man who did this. Uh, 
maybe somewhere along the line there's been some insensitive pastor who has trained you to think about private worship in terms of what does it say about how serious your faith is. And seeing it as something that tells you more about yourself than it does about the Lord. Those are some of the struggles that we have. And if we have any of these struggles, some of the anxieties that I've talked about, let me suggest uh, that fundamentally our problem is not with private worship, but with the way that we think about it, the way that we approach it. There are lots of different ways. The, the uh, Westminster talks about private worship, and I, and I want, uh, if nothing else, I want you to go away uh, from this class today thinking about your personal spiritual disciplines in those terms. It is private worship. That is exactly what it is. We have lots of other terms that we use, and all of them are good, and all of them have uh, some basis for them. Think about what we call that time. We call it quiet time. Uh, you know, this idea that it's just a quiet chat with you and the Lord, or one-on-one -on -one time with God sometimes, uh, we'll call it. Or devotions. This is your devotion to the Lord, or we'll call it spiritual disciplines. And there's something to each of that, but, uh, but there are two big errors that I think that we can lump into our private uh, worship uh, that can get tied in our minds to what we call it. And a terminology for this sort of thing actually is, is pretty important. There is... Uh, the error that I was promoting in my youth group talk, that is thinking about your worship practices uh, as though they somehow legitimize your faith. That if you have regular devotions, God's happy with you. And quite frankly, if you miss a few days reading your Bible, and if you don't tick that box, you ought to be ready for something bad to happen in your life. Now, you know this error by another name. It's called legalism. Uh, and it is trying to merit our standing before the Lord by what we do. The other error on the other side is thinking that our personal spiritual practices are primarily about receiving spiritual fuel. We top off the tanks before we go out into the world, and that is our safety net in a sense. If anything goes bad, I can fall back on, what did I read this morning? How did I have my quiet time to begin my day? Did I start everything the way that it ought to be? And that's another error that we can think of in terms of our private worship. Now, the difficulty with both of those, uh, like we sometimes see in almost every error in our spiritual lives, is that there's a little bit of truth mixed into these things. Okay? So it is true that, uh, that our spiritual disciplines, our desire for spiritual disciplines, uh, can be a barometer on what's going on in our souls, things that we don't see very often. So here's the way Don Whitney said it. Every Christian goes through springs, summers, autumns, and winters, various cycles of ups and downs in their attitudes toward private worship. But the person in whom it is always winter, the person in whom it is always winter and their desires for private worship is a person with a cold, dead soul. It says further, if you seldom think about engaging in private worship with God and if you do not grieve over the absence of regular communion with God, you are in grave danger. I think he makes a good point there. There is a sense in which our spiritual disciplines, our desire for communion with God, can be a barometer as to what's going on in our soul. But that's not the whole truth. That's not the primary way that we ought to think about private worship and about family worship. Now, it's also true uh, that we get a lot of spiritual benefit from private worship. We are a church that believes in the ordinary means of grace. How do we grow in our Christian life? Well, we grow through prayer and through scripture reading and intake and through the sacraments. That's uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 88. Uh, what are the outward ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? And we would answer uh, in those ways that uh, the outward, ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially uh, the reading of the word, prayer, and the sacraments, all of which are made effectual unto the elect for salvation. So God actually does work in our hearts when we have worship time and private worship time, even as he works in our hearts during corporate worship time. Think about some of the promises that are associated with Time spent in God's word. Psalm 119. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There's a sense in which it is really important just for your daily interaction in the world. 
and putting to death uh, the desires of the flesh and sin and the world, that you should be in God's word, you should be communing with the Lord in prayer. These are important things. This is what uh, Sally Magnuson wrote of Eric Liddell. Um, so you remember Eric Liddell, um, uh, Chariots of Fire, but he was also a good Presbyterian. Uh, he, uh, he was a missionary, I believe, to China uh, and was martyred there. Uh, and she wrote, Sally Magnuson wrote uh, in her biography of him, he seemed to get his strength and his self-discipline and his air of quiet serenity from his early morning sessions of prayer, meditation, and Bible study. Somewhere in these daily disciplines of faith lay the secret of the man. There's truth in both of those. That there is spiritual benefit and it reveals what's going on in our heart, but neither one is the primary reason that we should have devotional times each day. What is the primary reason that we should have a quiet time of private worship or devotion with the Lord? What would you say? We're switching the tables now. Now it's interaction. I finished my sermonette. There'll be more. What's the primary reason, Chris? Because God is worthy of our worship. Yeah. Yeah, that the Lord deserves worship in every area of our life, in every moment of our lives, that he is utterly worthy of more worship than we could ever give him for all of eternity, which is why he has established this promise that he will gather us to himself for the rest of eternity, as far as it goes on, to continue worshiping him, because by the time that we are done and we continue all over again, we still will not have filled up all the worship that the Lord is due. God is worthy of our worship. That's the first and primary reason we ought to be devoted to these things. God has created us to be full-time worshipers. And I think that's the great benefit of the way that the Westminster approaches this aspect of private worship. It is not tacked on. Uh, Dave, yeah, you want to add to that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, if, and if Jesus, in his earthly ministry, thought it important, and you find it all throughout the Gospels, uh, while it was still morning, he left the house and he went away from them and he went to a quiet place to pray. Or he left them and he withdrew by himself for a while to pray. And we see him doing this over and over again. Uh, if the Lord Jesus Christ thought it was important in his daily ministry, he who was both God and man, to be in communion with the Father, uh, in a sense, I think, to, to receive some of that, uh, that encouragement for the ministry he was doing, but also to keep his mind in, in the right direction uh, and, and to set his sights on what was important, then why shouldn't we? we yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3 tells us to set your mind on the things that are above. Well, how do we do that? That's not a passive thing that we do. Well, I'll sit around until the Lord gives me a great desire for the things that are above and not the things that are on the earth. You know, this is something that we're, we're meant to engage in because we believe what God has told us, that the things that are above are greater than the things that are here. It's believing God's promise. It's following the imitation of, or uh, the example of Christ. It's trying to imitate him, trying to look more and more like he is and to be conformed to his image. Absolutely. I, I think this is the major benefit of the way that the Westminster approaches this idea of private worship. We don't get to the end uh, where we've seen, here's all the stuff that you need to believe, and now if you're going to be a serious Christian, here's the stuff you need to do. This is right in the middle of this larger section on worship. It is a subset of what we have been talking about for the last seven, eight, nine sessions together. What is private worship? It's worship. That means that all the stuff that we've talked about, uh, the regulative principle and all these other things about worship, what worship is, it applies when we start to think about what we ought to be doing in private worship. It shows up. There's just this little line that God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth, private families daily, and in secret, each one by himself. So that means that what we do privately is not essentially different, not essentially different from what we do Sunday by Sunday as we gather together. There are some differences. 
but what we're doing in private worship uh, is not fundamentally different than what we're doing together. And that, I think, ought to take some of the anxiety out of it. If we are some of those people that struggle with, well, what do I do in worship? Well, we already know. If we struggle with how much should I do or how much ought I to do, uh, then there's an answer here for us. And if we, we struggle with uh, what it is to, to be regular in these things, we have encouragements as to why we ought to be regular in these things, aside from trying to tick our little box and feel good about our, our spiritual practices. Um, so we already know, because we know what worship is, we already know what private worship is all about. Here's the, here's the rough definition that we cobbled together in our first session on just what is worship. Worship is a whole person response of reverence and devotion to who God is and what he's done in Christ. So when you try to, to think about, well, what am I going to do when I have my, my private daily devotional time every morning? What is the goal of this? Is it uh, just to get through the Bible in a year? Uh, is it just to make sure that I have these things done? Or... Is it to approach the Lord in such a way that our whole person would be involved, spirit and truth, to see and to learn and, and, to, and to grow in reverence for who God is and what he's done for Christ? We already know what worship is about. It takes some of the anxiety out of these things. Uh, we already know what ought to be done in worship. How do we decide what is done in worship and what is pleasing to the Lord? Read the Bible. There's this little phrase that we talked about in our second section. And if you're good Presbyterians, you better know it. The regulative principles. I saw my wife mouthing the answer back. The regulative principle. How do we know what pleases the Lord? We read the Bible, and God tells us what we ought to do in private worship. And so we've seen, as we've gone through, some of the things that we do that please the Lord. We haven't been exhaustive in studying the different elements of private worship. We talked about four of them. We talked about word and praise and prayer and sacrament. That's a good baseline to start from. Are there any of those that we ought not to engage in in private worship? Sacrament. That's right. So there is one of the major differences. Uh, that we ought not to engage in the sacraments because those are given to the church as a gathered institution. Uh, the elders of the church are called, um, what are they? Stewards of the mysteries of God. And there's a translational stream there where mysteries in the Latin become sacramentum, and so stewards of the sacraments. And you can follow that on your own, but, but the sacraments are given to the gathered institutional church uh, either as a symbol of incorporation into Christ's visible body, which you are not on your own, or even by yourself and your family, or, uh, as we spoke of the Lord's Supper, it is a picture of communion of believers, one with another and with the Lord, uh, and ought to be done in the context of gathered public worship, uh, which you are not on your own. Okay, so that leaves us three. Word and praise and prayer, are there any of those that we tend to overlook in our private worship? Praise? Yeah. Yeah. Here's an encouragement. Uh, the, the basic model, I think, for most believers for private worship is, uh, I open my Bible to Psalm 119, uh, verse 18, uh, oh, Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things in your law. And then I read a couple chapters, and then I close it with a prayer that says, uh, Lord, help me to put these things into action. And there are variations on that theme, right? You, uh, one of those sections may be longer or shorter, but I think very often, unless you happen to be a very musically comfortable person, we tend to skip that whole praise thing when we're on our own. That ought not to be, I think. There, there is, and maybe you feel like, you know, I, I'm not a person who likes to sing. I don't play any instruments. Uh, but, but can't we, you know, we talked about the ministry of praise several weeks ago is the natural overflow of the heart. And we're talking about a whole person reverence to who God is. Can't we take some time in the morning to sing a psalm? Can't we sing our favorite hymns to the Lord? 
the way that a parent would sing a lullaby to a child, and even though you're not musical, you're not embarrassed, because you love that child dearly, and you want to express your love to them. Can't we take some time by ourselves and pray in a quiet room by ourselves and praise and sing in a quiet room by ourselves and not be embarrassed? Just take that little encouragement there, add it into your, your regular routine, uh, and just, just see uh, what happens. See if, if your heart is not gladdened, uh, but much more than that, see if the Lord is not praised as you do that. So we already know what we ought to do in worship. Yeah. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. And, and part of our prayer is praise. Part of our prayer is praise. Uh, but there are psalms that, that speak very explicitly about the value of singing of the works of the Lord. Right, a, sk a skilled song. Oh, touche, a joyful noise. We could, we could come back with the, the joyful noise argument. Yeah, and so no, no, it, it doesn't mean that if you're not singing, you're not praising. That's not what I mean to say. Uh, but I want to put this before us as, as just a consideration. Here's something else that, that we, you know, oh, during these seasons of winter, as Don Whitney talks about them, it feels like I do the same thing. I pray, I read, I pray. I pray, I read, I pray. I pray, I read, I pray. And, you know, what else is there? Well, sing a song. Uh, yeah, we can praise the Lord without, without a tune. Uh, I don't mean to imply that. And thank you for that necessary uh, corrective. Um, but, but I think here's something else that we can, we can think about and something that, you know, if we're looking for other things to add or new things to try in worship, try the things we already know. And try, try praise and singing to the Lord simply. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not trying to be legalistic on this thing. Not like, you're not worshiping if you're not singing. That's not what I mean to say. Um, but here's, here's something else. That, and, and maybe if we're really uncomfortable with it, we listen to something. We, we listen to something where uh, the Lord stirs our heart. Uh, that we can, you know, I think it's, it's really another way of engaging with Scripture as well, especially if we're doing the Psalms. Uh, here's another way to internalize. You know, when we do family worship in our home, uh, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter who has memorized several verses of several psalms because she hears them all the time. Uh, and she can't read. And in fact, I've found that, uh, that my children who don't read can sometimes memorize scripture in singing much better than I can. And I've got to open the Psalter, and I've got to go back to what was that line, and Benny is right there. Man, he's got it. Um, yeah, and there are just different different ways, and, and maybe it's listening, maybe you know some of these other aspects. Dave, you're gonna you're gonna add to that. Okay. What do you mean by that, Dave? I think recognizing that in private worship there is real communion. Just like one of the things that we've talked about as we come into corporate worship is that the Lord communes with his people. He meets us here. He speaks to us through his word. We speak to him in prayer. We're able to unburden our hearts. Um, we need to think of private worship as communion. 
of interaction between the believer and his or her Lord. And, and some of that might mean being willing, I like the way you put that, being willing to follow a tangent. Well, you know, my Through the Bible in a Year program says, and I, I'm not against Through the Bible in a Year. I know I've said it now a few times. I'm not against it. The wonderful, wonderful tool um, to, to help us to get through scriptures and to, and to digest the whole counsel of God's word. But sometimes we need to be open to, dare I say, the moving of the Spirit. Uh, and where is the Lord speaking to me, and what have I seen in his word that, it, that exposes something that needs to be exposed, and to be willing to follow him on that. I hope all of you ladies saw the email that went out just this morning at 7.18 a.m. Uh, about an upcoming study that Cynthia Rowland is going to be leading for the women on Thursday nights on different methods of Bible study. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful tool. I'd love to see your notes when you're done. Um, but talking about what can we do and how can we dive into these things and how can we enrich our study in God's word with, I think you mentioned commentaries and inductive studies and word studies and all sorts of, of different things and being willing to find a thread and to pull on it uh, until that, that thread uh, comes alive in a sense. And I'm mixing my metaphors there, but Bill. Absolutely, yeah. And, and this gets into some of these practical questions. I know some people just the, the way that they work, um, it just seems that, that evening reading of Scripture is better. But throughout the history of at least the Reformation, uh, the, the cornerstone of spiritual worship and private worship has been the early morning meeting with the Lord. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of merit to that. Uh, that it, it begins your day. I don't remember off the top of my head, I don't have the, the statistics for you, but the number of people, uh, Americans, the number of Americans anymore, who uh, the very first thing they do when they get out of bed is to check their smartphone is alarming. Alarming to see if there are any emails about lady studies coming up, uh, to see if anything has happened overnight, uh, to check stocks or whatever, um, and, and it may be uh, that just the same way that, that some people would have a spiritual discipline years ago of, I will not read the newspaper until I've spent time with the Lord in his word. Maybe we need to, to get back that balance, uh, to hear first from the Lord, to have our day set, uh, and to set the tone, to, to remember, not just that we would fill our tanks, and there is some filling going on, but to remember what is our primary task in life before anything else, it is worship. Uh, and we begin the day reminded of our need for worship. Absolutely. 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 You know, maybe, uh, and, you know, oh, we're all about self-disclosure today. Um, one of the besetting sins that I find myself struggling with is a desire to please people. Um, I, I want all of you to think so well of me, and I want to do in different situations what will make you think, and that pastor, he's really great. We really like him. He's really good. Um, and, and that can be a snare for lots of people. And what I find is uh, that I deal with that sin issue more when I do not spend appropriate time listening to God's voice and instead I fill my mind and my heart with man's voice. What you listen to more will make a difference in what is most important to you. If you spend your day following what other people say about you, if, if the first thing you do is to flip open Facebook or Instagram and see how many likes you got on that post last night, uh, then that is what is really important to you first thing in the morning. Again, let's not get into legalism here, uh, but when we begin our day and we go to Scripture and we say, what does the Lord say about who he is for me and who I am in Jesus Christ? 
it says something to you and, and it works. The, the Lord works through these spiritual means to reorient you to what is most important in your life and in the world. Chris? So let's, let's keep pulling on this thread, since this is where we are, uh, dealing with scripture intake. I think this is one of, the, one of the most important things that we need to do in private worship, is to take in God's word. Uh, you can think of, uh, and sort of simplified way of thinking about private worship is just breathing. It's inhaling and it's ex exhaling. It's inhaling and exhaling. We take in God's word, and in a sense, when you're exhaling, you're just breathing the same air back out, and some of it's circulated through, and there's more carbon dioxide than oxygen, all that sort of thing. Uh, but it's all filtering through the system, and so uh, we can think of, of private worship in the sense of taking in God's word, letting it work through our system, and breathing it back out to him. So word uh, intake and, and prayer exhalation we can think of. But let's think about this word intake. Uh, how much scripture should you read when you have private worship. Chris has alerted us to the fact that it takes only about 70 hours to read through the entire Bible. About 15 minutes a day, and that leaves you a few uh, days on uh, several weekends that you can catch up on things that you've missed. Wonderful Sabbath day practice, by the way, to fill in the things that you've missed throughout the week and to, to catch up on that time. But how much prayer, or I'm sorry, how much scripture reading should you take in on a given day? Scott? Okay. Oh, yeah. And McShane's a good one, by the way. McShane's a good one. Yeah, so how much scripture should you take in? I think absolutely, though, Scott. Um, there, a, a mixture, I think, is, is really good. Having the discipline to get through it, but also leaving room to stop uh, and to speak on some of these things is, is a good approach. Dave? Yeah, and, and part of this is recognizing some of our, our hang-ups on 
private worship and Bible reading has to be done a certain way um, are really constrained by the time in which we live. Forgetting that for the vast majority of Christian history, believers didn't have access to their own copies of the scripture that they could spend each day reading and poring over the word. Absolutely, absolutely, sure. Sure. Uh, and it might be that the only time you actually hear scripture was when you went to corporate worship. And then the rest of the time was what the scriptures will talk about as memorization. or not, I'm sorry, not memorization, but uh, meditating. Uh, taking what you've heard, hiding it in your heart, mulling it over, turning it around and around. The, the Puritans were masters at meditating on scripture. Uh, and so, you know, you could have, yeah, you could read a whole lot of scripture, or you could read one verse, and they would take it, and, and the, the image they use is like taking a diamond and turning it so that the light shines off of every facet. Uh, and looking at a scripture and thinking about the ways that it applies to their life and the different aspects of it that touch on them, doctrines that they've, they've overlooked and things that they've missed. Uh, and I think this is one of the aspects that, that we miss uh, sort of in our busy culture is this, this ability to, to sit with one small passage. Um, it's good, and I think, I think a really good discipline, and I encourage all of you to have a disciplined approach to getting through the whole of God's counsel. Whether it's a year or two years, whether I know uh, Mike and Sharon Lee a while ago did, um, did through the Bible in 90 days. That was a lot of reading, <coughs> but they said it stretched them and it, and it was a real encouragement to them. So whether it's something like that or whether you have uh, you know, a, a plan laid out for I'm going to read through all of the epistles in so much time or I'm going to spend so much time here or there, uh, we can add some of, these, some of these different elements and listening to it is a, is a wonderful way to do it. Um, and uh, I, I would say that given the benefits of being in a literate culture with access to God's word, my first inclination would not to make listening to God's word read uh, as my primary, uh, simply because I, I, I want to be aware of the great blessing that we have in having access to the scriptures. Um, is, it, is it wrong? No, I don't think so. And, and again, we don't want to be too legalistic. Um, but if you've got time in the car, you've got time washing dishes, you, you've got time doing something else, there are lots of other ways of, of adding in scripture intake that we can, we can bring alongside that can really help us out. Um, so I think those are, those are some, uh, and I, I don't know how directed that was, um, a few pointers uh, on, on scripture intake. Have some sort of discipline plan, um, but don't be afraid to stop and, and marinate for a while. Um, one of the things I've done in the past is set aside a whole month where every day my personal worship is to study I went through James. I spent a month in James. Every day I would read the chapters. I would stop. I would pause. I would, I would just sort of mull over what was there. You do that in some of the other shorter books, or, or you take a passage. I had a professor in seminary who spent, I think, the better part of a year on Isaiah 40, just meditating and just drawing out and just you know, doing what the, the Puritans did and turning it and seeing the facets. And all that is really, really uh, wonderful. And sometimes what we need you know, Whitney, in this book that we read, he talks about three barriers uh, to, to good private worship. And he talks about, um, oh, what are they? Time, the barrier of time. I just can't fit it in. The barrier of desire. That's the, the autumn, spring, summer, and, and fall sort of thing. Um, and then the barrier of routine. Sometimes it's good just to switch things up. That if you've been reading five chapters a day, if you've been reading four chapters a day to get through the Bible, uh, and you've done that, and you've, you know, you've set out to do this, and you fulfill what you've, you said you were going to do, or even in the middle, if you're just feeling, I, I need something else for a little bit, step back, pick a favorite psalm, pick a favorite chapter, and just marinate on it for a while. And that's good, and, and just switching things up can be a real help. Uh, Teresa. What was the passage? Zacchaeus. Okay, yep. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And there's such, there's such benefit in reading scripture with other people. In fact, I know that Steve Barry is one of the leaders of your study, and that is one of the things he is most passionate about, is the way that we grow in our understanding of scripture as we read it with one another. Now, you can do that on your own. In your own private worship, it counts as private worship to find some good commentary or some good commentator or, or to read sermons on a particular passage because that's what they're helping you to do, to understand the scripture in a slightly different way, to pull out some application that you might, have, might not have thought about. Uh, and these are really good. And a resource like Table Talk that we get month after month, and, and you can sign up for a, uh, a subscription. And there's a good balanced approach there because it has one particular verse that you're zeroing in on, and there's a little article about it. But over in the corner, it also has, here's some, some areas for further study if you want to go further on this topic. And here is how you get through the Bible in a year, and it gives you some things to read. And so you're hitting several different bases, several different approaches. So it's sort of a multi-pronged approach to, uh, to dealing with, with taking in God's word. And, and the more we can, can put in, uh, without feeling like, oh, it's, it's legalism, I have to do this, 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 and this uh, for it to count, um, then, then this is great. You know, the, the more ways that, that we can uh, marinate on God's word and steep in it, the better. And, and having somebody to come alongside you is a wonderful opportunity to do that. Scott. Absolutely. You know, there, um, I know there are some people in the congregation who will remain unnamed uh, that make it really difficult for me if I ever wanted to preach a sermon over again and reuse an old one because they keep a tab in the corner of their Bible. Uh, Matthew preached on this date, on this passage. I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, but yeah, that's great to remember where you were. In fact, I just, I found one of those going through uh, a passage just this week, and I did it I, on my electronic software. I just I flagged uh, a passage in 2 Corinthians uh, that two years ago at General Assembly, one of the pastors preached on it, and here were his three points. Great, and I can look at that and I go, yeah, I, I remember now. Maybe I wouldn't remember uh, had I not written some of those things down, but now I remember, and, and quite frankly, I see where those things are coming. Uh, and, and it jogs your memory, and it helps to, to further that uh, that aspect of study. So uh, Whitney, again, he speaks of several different things we can do, six different ways we can intake scripture, and maybe you can try some of them if you're not already doing it. You can read it, you can study it, you can memorize it, you can pray it, you can sing it, you can meditate on it. You know, all of those are, are legitimate ways, uh, good ways, God-pleasing, God-honoring ways to intake some of his scripture, to do that that inhaling of, of spiritual uh, respiration. Um, and, and three of them in particular uh, are, are what we would generally think of as the Puritan vision uh, of private worship. Uh, it would be reading God's word, meditating on God's word, and doing it in such a way that you end up praying God's word. Uh, so that it, it comes in, you, you might go through a large swath of things, uh, and, and then you would stop somewhere uh, and meditate, not like, you know, uh, New Age, Eastern meditation. The goal is not emptying, but the goal is filling with God's word. Uh, and then as it exposes what's going on in your heart, you then turn that around to the Lord in prayer. And with our last few minutes over time, I think that's what, that's what I want to switch to. Uh, because as we mentioned, uh, for the vast majority of Christian history, um, believers didn't have access to the scriptures. Uh, and so before the advent of the printing press and the proliferation of books, there we go, um, the, the major spiritual activity 
of believers was prayer, was taking that, that nugget or that kernel that you may have heard uh, in worship and going to the Lord uh, in prayer. And this, uh, as we've already mentioned, was uh, the hallmark of Jesus' spiritual disciplines. And we find in several different places in Scripture that we are called to, Colossians 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, to pray without ceasing. And so I want to ask, what are some of the blessings of private prayer that we may not experience in corporate prayer when we're gathered together? What are some of the differences when you think about prayer on your own, uh, that it is more of a blessing to pray on your own, uh, subjectively a blessing, not, not objectively, uh, but you experience it to be more of a blessing uh, when you're praying on your own than when you're gathered together and praying with God's people. Can you think of any? You can go off on tangents. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep it short or the, you know, the people will get antsy. Sorry, go ahead. And, and not fear that your prayer is going to turn into uh, gossip. If you know somebody really well and what they're going through, uh, yeah, we can pray for them, but in a group, uh, the better part of valor says pray discreetly uh, and, and do it in such a way that we all know who we're praying for, but we don't need all the details because God already knows. But if you know the details, God knows the details, you're alone with him, go for it. Uh, bring them before the throne of grace. Absolutely, you can go on a tangent. Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah, so again, you can, you can dwell on an issue, you can spend as much time as you need, uh, and you can, you can really keep going with the Lord as the Spirit is moving. What about prayers of confession? You can be a little more transparent. You can be a little more transparent, absolutely. Um, and it's, I think this is one of the main things that we lose if we don't have a rich individual prayer time is the time of transparency with the Lord and opening our heart and saying, I'm, I'm not putting on a veneer. I'm not looking good for somebody else. I'm not praying so that somebody else will overhear and think that I'm actually a better believer than I am. Lord, you know. Uh, and how often we can feel free to turn our private prayer time into just a cry for help uh, that we would not feel free uh, to do in a, in a public setting. There are some real blessings, some real benefits uh, for private prayer and that private communion. How about some difficulties with private prayer that you don't seem to find in corporate prayer? Rob? Wool gathering? Wool gathering? What do you mean there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the wandering mind, wool I like that phrase. You'll have to explain that one to me later. So keeping your mind uh, on the prayer at hand. I saw a hand over here. Is it Teresa? Is it Sarah? No? Stretching. Tim. Excuse me? Sleep. Absolutely. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. So I'm going to pray before bed, and, you know, it's, it's April, and it should be warmer than it is, so I'm going to pray on... I'm going to pray under the covers, or first thing in the morning, I've already hit the snooze seven times, uh, I'm just going to get back in bed and pray, yeah, yep, Dave? I don't know, um, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, and who can know it, um, so I think that's, that's where we meet it with, uh, with that prayer of open confession, and asking the Lord to search our hearts. Search me and see, O oh Lord, if there be any wicked way in me. Um, Luther uh, talked about the benefit and the reason that he prayed out loud. And he gave two reasons. He said, one, because when I don't pray out loud, my mind wanders. 
And while you're praying, a wandering mind is an abomination to the Lord. That's what he said, not my words. And two, he said, I pray out loud because I want the devil to hear what I'm praying because he is a vanquished foe. I goes are pretty good. Uh, and if you struggle with some of those things and you're not currently praying out loud, try it. Uh, have, you know, be in your prayer closet where you can still have that transparency before the Lord and simply vocalize your prayers. Pray out loud. And it will, I think, keep you more on track. Uh, and, and you might be surprised the way that that affects it. Some of it is, is this discipline. If you know that you are prone to fall asleep while praying, pray standing up. <laughs> uh, pray somewhere that you can't fall asleep. Pray with your eyes open. I mean, there's nothing uh, saying that you have to close your eyes and, and be in a prone position to, to pray. You, you, can, you can do lots of different postures and, and things to help out. Uh, I, I've got some more, but we're way over time, and so we're going to, we're going to end here. Um, but here's what I want us to go away from, if nothing else, today and from our study that we've had together as we've, we've looked at worship. Why should we worship? Why should we be engaged in, oh, where was my phrase? Um, why should we be engaged in private worship, in family worship, in corporate worship? Because God deserves it, because God demands it, and because God delights in it. Because he has called us to do that, because we are worshipers. That's what we're made for. Uh, and so, you know, beware. You know, if, if your tendency is legalism, uh, find the avenues to battle against that legalism. If, you're, if your uh, error is pragmatism, uh, find ways to look at God's glory, even if you don't come away feeling like, today was the best quiet time I've ever had. Uh, find some ways to turn your eyes to him. That's what worship is all about, whether we're together or whether we're uh, apart. God demands it, he deserves it, and he delights in it. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, our God, you are worthy of all worship that we can give, and much more. You are wonderful in glory and honor and power. Uh, you are the God above all things and the creator of all things. Thank you for meeting with us already today by your word as we have considered what it is to worship you in our private closets. Uh, and uh, somewhat in our families, we pray uh, that you would meet us in worship as we come corporately together. Uh, meet us by your word. Uh, show us uh, your beauty at your table. Meet us also as uh, we ordain men to the service of ministry in your church as they take vows and as the congregation takes vows together. Help this also to be part of our spiritual worship, directing those vows to you uh, and asking you, O oh Lord, to see and hold us accountable uh, and to, uh, to give, uh, O oh Lord, um, your assent to these things that we vow, uh, that you would, would uphold us in these things and help us in all that we do today uh, to worship together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.